Heavenly Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your most holy presence today. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that Jesus is alive forevermore. Thank you that he's coming again. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We praise you today. We rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your salvation. We rejoice in your victory over the grave and over sin, death, and hell. Father, I pray that you'll bless this service for your honor and your glory. Thank you for each one who's here. I pray that you'll speak to hearts and lives today. I pray your richest blessing upon our choir and these young people as they minister to us, as they glorify you during this time. May Jesus Christ be lifted up in this place in all of his glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we pray it for his sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We are delighted that you're here and we're so grateful that you're here. Trust you'll be blessed as we have the choir, the young people this time, present to us an Easter cantata entitled, Tell the Good News. Thank you. 
Go! 
Well, amen. Hallelujah. That was great. I had not seen that program. Proud of these young men and young women, too. Great job. So, so appreciate you. And thank you, Susan Turner, working with them and leading them in our choir. And uh, we're delighted uh, to be here today and just get to hear that and be blessed by it. We're, it's time for us to sing again. And we, they've inspired us. We want to sing again 533. want to stand up and sing. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. He lives. He lives. I want you to sing it like you mean it because it's true. 533. Let's stand up, sing out. 533. He lives. Yeah. 
take that hymn book 160 we want to sing one more time I've got a hard job this morning a lot of you are tired a lot of you have a full belly so I've got to keep you awake I want you to sing out one more time in praise to the Lord low in the grave he lay Jesus my Savior waiting the coming day Jesus my Lord and we get close to the um, end of the second verse into the third verse those boys and girls going down to children's church you can be slipping out 160 low in the grave he lay would you sing that 160 
seated. Would you take your copy of God's Word, please, and be turning to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We have a hard time, I believe, entering into the emotions of those early followers of Jesus during the time of his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection. We know the whole story. We're looking back and we know how the story ends, but they were living all of this in real time. And even though Jesus told them that he would die and he would rise again, it seems that went in one ear and out the other when it came to his followers. And on that first Easter Sunday, when they thought that Jesus was still in the tomb, already decomposing, sad to say, no one went to the tomb looking for the risen Savior. They didn't go looking for the risen Savior. They went looking for a dead body. But some dear ladies did go to the tomb. And we find their story here in Mark chapter 16. I want you to join with me there. And we'll be looking at this passage throughout this morning. Mark chapter 16. And we find their story. Begin reading at verse 1 of Mark 16. The Bible says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Apparently, after the Sabbath ended on Saturday at sunset, these ladies went out and bought the spices and supplies they were going to need uh, to anoint the body of Jesus. And then early, actually very early, they came to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday. And um, the ladies that came mentioned here are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, but we also know there were other ladies, according to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 10. It says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and, other, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Several, if not all these ladies we read about here, were at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. If you turn back or look back at chapter 15, we know in verses 40 and 41, it says there were also women looking from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So these ladies were followers of Jesus. They were there at his crucifixion. They think his body's still dead. They're going early that first Easter Sunday morning uh, to anoint this body. If you look at chapter 15, right above where we've already read, beginning at verse 44, it says, Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And verse 47, right before we read this morning, says this, And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. So these ladies, they had been there at the crucifixion. They had been followers of Jesus. They saw where he was laid to rest there in the tomb. These same ladies come back on that first Easter Sunday morning. What devotion these dear ladies had in returning to that tomb early in the morning, uh, looking for a dead body. What love they had for the Lord Jesus. And as they were going, they were discussing in their minds a major problem. 
a major problem. I guess they probably didn't know about the guards and all that were put there, but they did know about a massive stone that had been rolled over the entrance to that tomb. And their discussion was about who's going to roll the stone away. And it's interesting, we don't find any of the men disciples mentioned or anybody else, but these dear ladies, and they're going, you're thinking about this great obstacle that lays before them, this great stone. Who's going to roll it away? They were worried about a stone, but beloved, they worried for naught. Which brings us to the first of three great truths I want to impress upon your heart from Mark chapter 16 this morning. And if you'll get these three truths down in your own life, it'll not only change your life, But God can use it to change someone else's life through your life. Would you notice, first of all, as we look at this passage together, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Now I want you as best as you can to put yourself in these ladies' sandals this morning. You're headed to a grave on an early morning, and when you get there, the grave is open. The stone is rolled away. Look at verse 4 of Mark 16. But when they looked up... When they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. The closest thing I can kind of relate this to us in our day is you arrive at a cemetery where you very recently buried your loved one. And when you get there, you find a dirt pile, you find a hole, and you look and you see an empty casket. Now put yourself in their shoes this morning. What would your response be? But actually it's more startling than that. They not only find an empty tomb, they go into a tomb and they find something they did not expect to see at all. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, in entering the tomb, and I give them kudos for doing that, don't you? I'd be be scared to death, I think. But they went in. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. I understand that, can't you? This angel sitting there. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. By the way, the stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, but so others could get in. Don't miss that. Okay, the stone was rolled away so they could go in and see. And they find an angel sitting there and he gives them some good news. And I love what the angel says. And you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's alive. He's risen. Uh, see where they were, see where he was laying. There he is. There, there, there it is. He's not here. He's, he's alive. Hallelujah. Now, can you see these ladies trying to take all of this in? They've been burdened with grief. They've watched him be crucified. Time has passed, I think, in desperation and hopelessness. They're coming to anoint his dead body. And and, and they're trying to take all this in. And the angel doesn't seem to give them very much time. Because in the very next verse, in verse 7, he gives them some very specific instructions. He says in verse 7, but go tell his disciples. Then notice the next two words. Do you see them? What are they? And Peter. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. That's the Peter that denied him. That's Peter who failed him. But we see here he's not through with Peter. He's not done with Peter. He's not washed his hands with Peter. He's going to restore Peter and Peter's going to be used in a great way. But go and tell the disciples, go and tell Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And here's what's interesting. 
It says there, as he said to you, as Jesus said to you, well, what in the world? If you go back to chapter 14 and verse 28, we find these words in chapter 14 and verse 28. The Lord Jesus speaking says, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. He's already told them, I'm coming back. I'll meet you in Galilee. You'll see me there. What do these ladies do? Well, look back at the text in Mark 16, verse 8. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they were trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They just heard the greatest news that's ever been announced, but they didn't speak about it to anyone because they were afraid. I couldn't help but think about us as followers of Jesus Christ. How many times are we guilty of living out the last part of verse 8? We say nothing to anyone because we are afraid. Beloved, the tomb is empty. That's truth number one. But may I say to you, that is not enough. The second truth I want to impress upon your heart is this. The Savior is risen. The Savior is risen. It'd be one thing if the tomb was just empty because all kinds of things could happen to empty a tomb. We could go empty some graves this morning if we so had a mind to do it. It's not enough just to have an empty tomb. We have to explain why it's empty. And all sorts of stories have been fabricated through the years and propagated falsehoods about why the tomb is empty. But make no mistake, the tomb is empty this morning because the Savior is risen. The Savior is alive. The Savior lives. That's why the tomb is empty. Because our Savior is alive. And in verses 9 through 14, we have a listing of some of his post-resurrection appearances. I want to read through those verses, then we'll come back and touch on some of them. Look at verse 9. It says, Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked. They went into the country and they went and told it to the rest. But they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, it's most interesting to note that the very first person the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to after his resurrection was Mary Magdalene. You've got to remember when you're reading your Bible, beloved, these events do not take place in 2014 America. They take place in a much different culture, in a much different time of life. And you've got to remember that as you look at this, it's much different than our culture, much different than what we experience on a daily basis. Perhaps you think, well, what's the big deal he appeared to Mary Magdalene first? Well, it's a big deal. And I want to tell you why. In an article I ran across this past week, listen to what it said. In the first century, women were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. They were not allowed to even testify. Josephus, the great historian, said that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable, quote, because of the levity and boldness of their sex, end quote. 
Celsus, the second century critic of Christianity, mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an alleged resurrection witness, referring to her as a, quote, hysterical female deluded by sorcery, end quote. Now, that's the one that Jesus appeared to first. In a culture where a woman was not allowed even to testify in court, even multiple women were not allowed to testify, and the background matters because of two great truths, two crucial truths. First, it's a theological reminder that the kingdom of the Messiah turns the system of the world on its head. In this culture, we're talking about in their culture, Jesus radically affirmed the dignity of women and the vital value of their witness. He turned their culture on its head. He appeared first to one whom they would say, what are you talking about? Her, her witness is worthless. That's the one Jesus appeared to first. It turned it on its head. But secondly, it also serves as a powerful apologetic. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. Why? Well, because if all this is made up, if they just made up this whole story about Jesus getting up from the grave and the resurrection and all this stuff, they would have never started with a woman as the witness. Do you understand that? Because in their culture, it didn't happen that way. But it's a powerful reminder, a powerful apologetic that, that, that he's turned the world on its head and that this lady was the first witness of the risen Christ. And these ladies would see him. Mary Magdalene, as you see here, sees him and shares it with others. But notice the response she got. Verse 10 says she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Do you see their state of mind? They're mourning. They're weeping. They're in grief. Jesus in their mind is dead. Jesus in their mind is finished. All their hopes, all their dreams are buried in a tomb. The stones in front of it, guards in front of it. It's all hopeless. They're mourning. They're weeping. Verse 11 says, and when they heard that he was alive, how did they respond? They say, well, hallelujah, glory. Is that what they did? Now, look at what it says. Verse 11. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Christian, can I tell you that you'll find the exact same thing will happen when you share Christ with other people? There are going to be those who will not believe. As you share the gospel with them, they will not believe. Next, it talks about the account of the two on the road to Emmaus, those disciples that were traveling. And they meet the risen Jesus and they go and share. And I want you to notice the response they received when they shared the news that Jesus is alive. Look at verse 13. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. They didn't believe them either. Didn't believe them. Then it says here that later he appeared to the eleven. That is meaning the apostles. Actually, at this first appearance, they're referred to as the eleven, but there's only ten. Thomas was not uh, present on this occasion. It took place the very same Sunday evening. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. John chapter 20, 19 to 24. And he comes in before them, uh, these uh, ten that were there, that first appearance. And it's interesting to see what the risen Jesus Christ said to those apostles. Those followers. Notice what he said. Some strong words in verse 14. He says in verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He rebuked them. 
Uh, He had strong words for them. You see, beloved, Jesus does not want us to be hard hearted. Jesus doesn't want us as his followers to be unbelieving. He wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to trust him. And I I wonder, what kind of faith do you have this morning? If you're a child of God, if you're truly born again, is your faith a strong faith? Or are you walking along, fumbling along in fear and unbelief? Or are you walking along this morning in a faith-filled confidence in our resurrected, soon-coming Savior and Lord Jesus Christ? So He doesn't want us unbelieving. He wants us to be faith-filled. Why? Because the tomb is empty and the Savior is risen. And that changes everything. But there's a third truth. We find it right here. The tomb is empty. The Savior is risen. But I want to share with you thoroughly this morning. The mission is clear. The mission is clear. Apparently some time passes between verses 14 and 15. And we come to the time of Jesus' ascension back to heaven. Now remember, before his ascension, 40 days later, the Lord gave several commands to his disciples. You find it in Matthew 28 and Luke 24 and John 20 and Acts 1. The one being talked about here is obviously the Great Commission. We often think about it there in the book of Matthew. And we find the ascension of the Lord. He's getting ready to go back to heaven. And I want you to notice what he tells his disciples to do in verse 15. The mission is clear. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, those of us who know Jesus, we have no problem with that. We say, Amen, glory to God. But then we come to verse 16, and we almost fall down. Because verse 16 says what? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And some will say, well, see there, right there, It teaches in God's word, this proves that baptism, that is water baptism, is essential to salvation. It's a requirement for salvation. It's right there, right? Well, read it again. Read it again. Read it carefully. It says in verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But listen, he who does not what? Believe will be condemned. The second part of that verse, baptism is never mentioned. It doesn't say he who is not believing and baptized will be condemned, but he who does not believe. So, verse 16 is one of these verses that's been used to teach the necessity of water baptism. You have to be baptized in water to be saved. It's called baptismal regeneration. But we know that cannot be the case. And I want to give you five quick reasons why. I've already shown you one, so that would be six. You read it carefully, it says there, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Well, let me give you this quick list of five from William McDonald. First of all, the greatest proof, I think, is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross is hanging there dying next to the Lord Jesus. And what does he say? Remember me today when you come into paradise. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me. He was assured by the Lord Jesus Christ he would go to heaven with him. Nowhere do we find them taking him off the cross, going down to the River Jordan. They're seeing he baptize him, puts it back on the cross, they die. Doesn't happen. That's one proof. Secondly, the Gentiles in Caesarea were baptized after they were saved in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. After they were saved. The third great proof is this. Jesus himself did not baptize. John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 
That's a strange omission, beloved. If baptism were necessary for salvation, that Jesus himself would not baptize. Fourth, Paul, the Apostle Paul, thanked God that he baptized very few of the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 14 through 16. It would be impossible for him to say, Lord, thank you, I didn't baptize many people. If baptism were essential to salvation. He had other, other reasons for saying that. We won't get into that today in that passage. But the proof is there. And fifth, approximately 150 passages in the New Testament state that salvation is by faith alone. No verse or few verses can contradict the overwhelming majority of the scripture. You don't take one verse and contradict the other verses. It doesn't work that way. So please be clear on that. So baptism is, is good. and We'll talk about it in a moment, but it's not essential to salvation. So why does it say there? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Why does it say that? Well, it says it because belief and baptism are tied together because that's the normal pattern. When someone believes, when someone gets saved, they get baptized afterwards to show that they've been saved. That's the way it works. Can I say this? Listen, an unbaptized believer is not the normal pattern. In fact, it's actually abnormal. Can I go even a step further? It's actually disobedience. Because baptism is the first step of obedience. When a person is saved, we then follow the Lord and believers. Baptism to show that what's going on the inside, we show it to everybody there that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And we show his death, burial, and resurrection. We show the death of our old man and the life of our new man. It's the normal pattern. So now all that's taken care of. You're settled on that. We know that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, not baptism, nothing else. Waters don't wash our sins away. You go in there this morning, I can take you in there. And you'll go in there a dry sinner, you come out a wet sinner. They wash them away. What can wash away my sin? That's the song says. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That is a picture of what's happened to us. That's, a, that's obedience. So we got all that taken care of because I know some of you are going, what is it all about? Okay, got that down? Now let's come back to the mission. Verse 15. The mission is clear. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now here we're told what they were supposed to do and we're told what we're supposed to do. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The more familiar passage is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So they're given this commission, this command. What do they do with it? They're told, go into all the world, preach the gospel of every creature. What do they do with it? We're going to skip over and skip down to verse 20. Verse 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. What did they do? They obeyed. They went and preached the gospel. Now, there are some signs talked about here, and we're not going to get in those today. That's a different time, a different message. And this, some people use this and they misuse this passage. They take up snakes in church and they drink strychnine poison and all sorts of things. You see those in the mountains. Have you ever seen those pictures of these snake handlers? You know what I've noticed of those pictures? There's not many people at that church. 
And I wouldn't be there long either if they did that. These signs we believe are for that time and for that period and for those people at that time. We don't need those signs. We have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the Word of God. We're not going to get into all that, but here's the point I want you to see. They obeyed the Lord. Now, here's where the story gets tough. We love celebrating Easter. We love celebrating the resurrection. And we should. We ought to. Without it, we're lost. We're foolish. We're miserable. I had to chuckle. I was thinking about it. Gideon got up this morning. Real early, we're talking about the fact he says, he says, I bet you those who aren't Christians must think that we're, we're crazy getting up this early. And he's right. He's right. We are crazy getting up and celebrating this, going out there and singing because he lives. If he's still in the tomb, we're stupid. And the scripture talks about that. But we know the truth. We love celebrating the resurrection because it's true. It's right. It's proper. It's good. And and it's the difference maker. It's what sets us apart from those who are lost because they never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions. Their leaders are still in the tomb rotting somewhere. But our Savior lives. We love celebrating that. But here's the real question, beloved. What about this part of the Easter story? What about the charge that Jesus has given? What about the command to go everywhere telling everyone that Jesus is alive? He's the Savior. Repent and believe. Turn or burn. What about that? What do we do with that Easter story? Think about it for a moment. Really, there are only two options for believers today. There are only two options. They're real clear. Option number one, obey. Option number two, disobey. It's just that simple. Jesus said here in his word to those, and he says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to be sharing the story of the gospel. Listen, beloved, make no mistake. Once we have met the resurrected Savior personally, he wants us to introduce him to other people so they can know. Which brings me to my final thought on this Easter Sunday morning. I would be remiss to stand before you and preach a message like this. I'd be remiss. In fact, I think I'd be, a, I'd be sending if I did not offer to you the Easter story. But I'd offer to you the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned. We deserve nothing but death, hell, and the grave. But God loved you so much... He sent His Son to take your place. And Jesus Christ came. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And He voluntarily allowed them. They they couldn't have done it if He said no. He voluntarily laid His life on that cross. Endured the shame. Endured the suffering. Endured the pain for you. He died in your place. Taking your sin upon Himself. And He was lifted between heaven and earth. And He died. And they buried Him. But as we've been talking about all morning, he rose again. And he's victorious over sin, hell and the grave. And because he lives, you can live. And because he's alive today, you can have eternal life. He said, preacher, what do I do? You turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the Easter story. That's what we celebrate today. Our Savior and Lord. And his desire is for you. And meet him personally. And see, beloved, if you realize today that the tomb is empty and the Savior is risen and the mission is clear. Beloved, that changes your life when you respond to those. 
And it changes other people's lives as you're obedient to the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel to every creature. The hymn writer was right. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him is always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Why? Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Does he live in your heart today? If not, today can be the day where you go out with eternal life. Let's pray. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow again. Lord, I praise you for these truths that you impressed upon our hearts today from the scripture. Thank you that the tomb is empty because the Savior is risen. Lord, the mission is clear that we're to go and tell. And Lord, we know that begins right here. And Father, I pray if anyone seated in this sanctuary this morning, listening to the sound of my voice, does not know for certain that they have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray in these next few moments they would allow someone to take a Bible and lead them to the cross, lead them to salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if anyone here today already knows Jesus and yet has not obeyed him, Lord, that we'd have some maybe today who would come and say, I need to be baptized to share my testimony with other people. Not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because I am saved. I want to be obedient. Lord, there may be others that have other needs upon their hearts and lives today. I pray that you would work in their lives. And press upon all of us the necessity of sharing the gospel, sharing it actively, sharing with everyone we come in contact with, of preaching the gospel. Lord, work in this time for your honor and your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope the invitation is very simple. The ladies make their way to their instruments. We're going to sing this morning 307 just as I'm here. Here's what I ask you to do. If you don't have the surety of your salvation, you don't know for certain that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You die today, you go to heaven. We start singing. Just come here. I'll be down at the front. Just come say, Preacher, I'd like to be saved. You say, what will you do? I'll, I'll put you with someone who loves Jesus, loves you. They'll take a Bible and they'll sit down and share Christ with you. That's what we're going to ask you to do today. Others here, you may already know Christ. You need to be baptized. Would you come today and say, Preacher, I need to be baptized. We'll schedule a time for you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Then others may want to come today and pray about something in your heart. Maybe the Lord's impressed upon your heart. The need for you to share your faith. If you want to come and pray for someone in particular, you need to talk to about the Lord Jesus. We would invite you to come today. As we stand and sing 307, just as I am. And as we sing, you come today. 307, let's stand together. You come today. And I will leave.